I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. All this week on Reset, we're taking a closer look at inequities in vaccine access and distribution in the Chicago region. And we're talking with the people working to set it right. It's the latest in our series, Closing the Gap, where we explore disparities in our area and talk solutions. The fact of the matter is that the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the magnitude of, of health inequities in the United States. It's highlighted structural racism, our institutions, practices, and policies. And the mortality rate is, is more than twice as high in Black, Latinx, and Indigenous populations and in white populations. And a lot of data reveals that there's a very strong socioeconomic component. That's Audra Wilson, president and CEO of the Shriver Center on Poverty Law. According to recent info from the city, half of the Chicagoans who have gotten a vaccine so far are white. Just 17 percent are Latino, 15 percent are Black, and 14 percent are Asian. Health officials and researchers say one way to make distribution more diverse is to make vaccine trials more diverse. In a moment, we'll hear from healthcare workers leading this effort at the local and national levels. But first, we wanted to know what it was like to be part of a COVID-19 vaccine trial. So let's turn to Bonnie Blue. Hi, Bonnie. Well, thanks for having me. Also with us is Eduardo Rolox. Hi, Eduardo. Hi. Now, both of you were the very first participants of a COVID-19 vaccine trial in Chicago. And Bonnie, this wasn't an easy decision for you because your, your friends and family were highly against it and your health condition has been challenging over the years. So tell me, why did you still want to participate in a vaccine trial? Well, since I was 19, uh, I have been fighting asthma. I spent most of my life in hospitals on life support and waking up in ICUs. So knowing how that feels and knowing that I definitely would not want anyone else to go through that kind of misery and fear, I felt it was my responsibility to step forward and put myself out there, take the vaccine or be part of the trial so that others can see that it's safe. Because if I can take the vaccine, whether or not it was during the trial or afterwards, with my health issues, I'm fine. Then you will be all right. Yeah. How did you feel, though? Were, were you nervous? It's got to be an emotional roller coaster taking part in a vaccine trial for the deadliest pandemic in, in a century in this country. Yes. And let me tell you, I prayed. A lot. I think I might have worked God's last nurse because <laughs> I kept saying, okay, if I'm not supposed to do this, give me a sign. But what I was getting was that I was calm. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't nervous. I was just doing it. And they made it so easy for me. Everyone was very friendly. There weren't a lot of people there. You know, they made me feel like a fellow human being versus what happens often. Eduardo, let's hear from you because you felt like you needed to step up too, right, and and participate in this vaccine trial. Tell tell us more about what made you volunteer. First of all, I wanted to take part in something that was historic in nature and revolutionary because— An mRNA vaccine has never made it past clinical trials. 
And this is very new technology that's very exciting because it has implications way beyond COVID as far as treatments for cardiovascular problems, cancer, multiple sclerosis, and a whole lot of other illnesses. And also, I'm part of a high-risk group whose life expectancy is about a week's time if they should come down with COVID complications. Okay. So I really wanted to do something desperately to um, save myself from being in that predicament. And you, you have a perspective here in this conversation, Eduardo, that's unique, right? You identify as Afro-Latino? Yes, that is correct. And so you understand then uh, some of the talk that we've had around vaccines and, and hesitancy among the Black and, and Latino populations. Right. So basically, the Latinos really don't know too much about COVID. And the African-American um, perspective is that there has been a long and periodic history of African-Americans being used for the advancement of medical understanding. And this goes back to Dr. Um, Marion Sims, who is considered the father of gynecology, and he experimented on slave women without the use of anesthetics. Right. And then there's the issue of Henrietta Lacks, whose cells were used without her knowledge and consent, and now her cells are all over the world and labs all over the world, and even they're being used to text or to advance the understanding of COVID and develop COVID vaccines. Mm -hmm. And there's also the, the Tuskegee syphilis study. So there's a long history yeah. of this kind of stuff going on. So I, I can understand why a lot of African-Americans are uh, leery mm -hmm. of participating in any kind of vaccination program or, or trial or anything of the line. That's Bonnie Blue and Eduardo Rolox, the first participants of a COVID-19 vaccine trial in Chicago. They both completed the Moderna vaccine trial at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Bonnie and Eduardo, thanks so much for your time today. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Turning now to our next voice, Dr. Monica Peake. She's a physician and researcher on social disparities from UChicago Medicine on this issue. I started out our conversation with her by asking if she was seeing this distrust from her patients. Yes, I have. And what is, I think, particularly concerning is that we're seeing this amongst hospital employees and healthcare workers. And because this has been the bulk of who's been vaccinated first in phase 1A. And so this is just a preview of what's to come. So if we have people that are working in hospital systems that are seeing COVID and its devastation, people who are exposed to COVID and are at higher risk and are still having, you know, significant hesitation about the vaccine and deferring getting vaccinated, then we know that we have 
a significant amount of work that lies ahead for the rest of the community. So what are they saying to you? Where Where is that coming from, from these hospital employees and patients? Well, we know that there is sort of a baseline level of mistrust within healthcare systems. We know that there are always concerns about vaccines and new technology, but there's an additional layer of mistrust that I've not seen before, particularly related to this vaccine that is, frankly, uh, related to, to two things. One, the newness of the vaccine, the rapidity with which it came out, and the fact that it was developed under the Trump administration. And so those two things have made it particularly challenging for marginalized communities who have suffered disproportionately under the prior administration and have seen the kinds of authoritarian moves, who've seen the corruption and the things that the former president was willing to do uh, for personal gain. And with disregard to the public's health, that makes people concerned that perhaps this vaccine may not be something that is safe for the public. What we have been leaning into is the fact that we know that this vaccine is our best chance for protecting loved ones and for fighting against this pandemic. I myself has been vaccinated. I've gotten both vaccines. And how did it go? I, my, Great. I had just a little bit of soreness and then it went away. My mother got vaccinated yesterday and I cried. And so everyone that I hold dear, everyone that I love, I have been actively, you know, advocating for them to get vaccinated. This is how we are going to end the pandemic. And particularly for people who are black and brown and have been disproportionately affected by this pandemic, we need to get behind this vaccine. This is our best tool to protect us. And so it's understandable, but unfortunate that our best chance for hope is one that a lot of people in the community are afraid of. Yeah. But we have to, you know, sort of walk through that fear and get to the other side. Well, I and, want to tap into something you said. You you talked about your mother also getting the vaccine and it bringing you to tears. Mm-hmm. What goes through your head and maybe even your heart when you hear mm -hmm. a black or Latinx person express that they have reservations about this COVID-19 vaccine? You know, what goes through my head is the additional risk that they're unnecessarily taking. There's a pastor who said you can either get the vaccine or you can get COVID, <laughs> you oh, know, right. Really, those are the binary choices that we're making because the community prevalence continues to increase. And so people are sort of hoping, placing their bets on the chances that they won't get COVID and they won't need it. But that's a risky gamble. And so we really need to be honest about the fact that, you know, we're gambling with our lives. Now, you say you understand the distrust of Black Americans. It's got a long history in this country. Mm -hmm. What effect have those examples had on Black Americans' mindsets? And what about smaller indignities that they endure? Yes, all of this is part of our lived experience, our individual lived experience and our shared lived experience, where our lives are devalued within this country. And that impacts the, the daily decisions that we make our calculated decisions that we make about 
you know, what it ultimately is going to be best and safest for us. So in order for communities to change that calculus, what that means is that the country is going to have to change how it treats black and brown people. You know, what we're doing is, you know, the short game of engaging trusted leaders, leveraging social and cultural capital, doing public health campaigns, and really trying to think about trusted people, spaces, and places so that we can meet people where they are and get vaccine utilization rates higher. Yeah. What about this? Go ahead. We have to think about the long game also and how we got here and what it's going to take to reverse those underlying feelings. You know, we're just coming out of 2020, and and we don't even say 2020 at this point. We just had white supremacists try and overthrow our government. You know, that has had a significant impact on how safe non-white people feel in this country. And so we have to acknowledge the state of, you know, racial politics in this country. Black people have to feel safe in this country and valued in this country in all ways in order to feel like what the government is offering is going to be safe for us, not just from, you know, back in the days of Tuskegee and back in the days of Henrietta Lacks, but today. You know, what are we doing to hold the insurrectionists accountable? You know, what are we doing to affirm that black lives matter? You know, what are we doing with our daily decisions that affect the life and well-being of African-Americans? And until we can be more proactive in affirming that black lives matter, Mm -hmm. we will continue to have black communities and black people say, I am not sure that what the government is offering me is going to be good and safe for me. We will always be having a reactive response rather than a proactive response in public health emergencies. You've explored how racial and cultural barriers impact physician-patient relations, and you've done research on the South Side. What have you learned about how important that relationship is? It is critical. We are going to have to lean into those relationships right now. In addition to the trusted community leaders, in addition to working with community health workers who are frequently trusted bridges between healthcare systems and communities, we're going to have to also lean into what we know is a trusted space, and that is the bond between patients and their physicians, particularly when physicians look like their patients. That's Dr. Monica Peak, Associate Professor of Medicine at UChicago Medicine. Dr. Peak, thank you so much for your great work and for taking the time to talk with us today. 